0: This is Limit Up, the show where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology so that you can take your trading to the next level. Hello, traders, and welcome to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. My name is Jack Pelzer. I am the content manager at Top Step Trader. I don't know why I'm fully introducing myself now, but (laughs) because we're in a new location.
1: Dan, Hey everybody, I'm Dan Hodgman. I am uh, the video producer and uh, content guy here at TopStep Trader. Yeah, and Dan's joining
0: us from uh, Geneva, Wisconsin, and I'm sitting in my place in Bucktown right now. So we're trying to get this technology worked out, but I got a fancy new mic, so it's great. I'm little sitting wins. at yeah, little winds. I'm sitting at my kitchen table. Uh, you might hear the blue line go by because I live on the street where it runs by in Chicago
1: and uh, my dog and wife might make an appearance at some point. Who knows? Right. I'm sitting here in my kitchen as well at the kitchen table. Uh, my dog currently is watching another dog run across uh, across the street, and I'm sure we're going to hear him bark at some point.
0: Yeah, that'll be some high-quality podcasting there. <laughs> so anyway, today on uh, the podcast, we have a great interview we did with Tim Reset of eMiniMind, and we talk all about what's going on. Granted, this Interview was uh, recorded about a week ago, right, Dan? Correct. We used to not have to give those disclaimers, but if you guys have been paying attention to the markets, they're all over the place at this point. Uh, I think we're technically, we're in a bull market briefly, uh, but no one's believing that. We're down again a bunch today.
1: A little bit down, um, but all in all, I think uh, you know, the market needed it. We had three of the biggest updates we've seen in a long time. Uh, market has to give back a little bit when you see things like that happening, you know, 20% move off the bottom. Um, So, you know, it's, that's how markets work. There's going to be ups and downs and we just have to flow with them. Sure. And we go into this more in depth in the coach's playbook we recorded yesterday,
0: which you can find on the Top Step Trader YouTube channel, where we kind of dived into the market dynamics in equities, but also oil, which today I believe went into the 19 handle.
1: Yeah, it's made it down there a couple times so far. I think we got back down there again today. Um and it's an interesting uh it's an interesting product to be looking at. I mean, wait, it's- here comes
0: the train. See, this is why
1: people listen to the podcast, Dan.
0: <laughs> yeah, that you know, Maybe. they're still running the trains in Chicago. I can tell you firsthand. Sorry, Dan,
1: you can continue. <laughs> no, we didn't I didn't even hear the train there. Yeah, it's my fancy mic. Nice. Um yeah. So opportunity is prevalent. I think, you know, talking crude oil just in general right now, it, it's such an interesting location that this market's in. Um, we've never seen these prices, or we haven't seen these prices in an extremely long time. Um, I've heard a stat recently that just a barrel, just the the metal drum that people put oil in, um, it costs about $32 to buy one of those. Obviously, they're reusable, but we're seeing a barrel of oil right now is well under that. and um, you know, it's interesting times that we're in with gas prices being so low, with oil being so low. Um, everyone has kind of some time on their hands, but unfortunately we can't take advantage of it. Exactly. I haven't filled
0: up my car yet. I think- Oh, it, I filled up mine. Oh, but you're always filling up your car.
1: 99 cents. Yeah, it where, burns the gas pretty quickly. Yeah. Where are you driving, Hodgman? Uh, you know, just, I've been taking some cruises around, uh, around the lake here, um, going down some country roads for a drive- um, you know, we got some sun shining. The other day was a nice, warm day. Uh, so I took a drive out to my buddy's farm, um, worked on one of his tractors, and then uh, we did a lift kit on my brother's truck. So we've been uh, been trying to keep busy. Beautiful.
0: I just bought a brand new bike, or had it delivered because bike stores aren't open, and uh, it's been too damn cold to ride. So it's just been sitting. Well, we ready. got warmer weather coming. I think Friday is going to be in the 60s. So. Uh, that'll be nice. Oh, well, thank goodness. Well, one last thing on the oil front, and I think it bears repeating, we go into it in the video, is that don't have a line in the sand in your mind of how low this could go because it will surprise you. I don't imagine it will go negative, but the fact that people are talking
1: about negative priced oil, that's wild. It's, it's an unbelievable concept to think about. And I just want to make a point. We talked about this with Eddie Horn a few weeks back, um, maybe a month ago. Oil was trading in the $40 range, uh, maybe 45 bucks, right around there. And he made a comment that he talked with someone that says they're looking at $18. Um, and we all kind of chuckled. And we go, well, you know what? That's doesn't seem realistic, but these are the markets and unrealistic things happen.
0: You, you, you can't store oil just in any hole in the ground. No. So <laughs> yeah, Contango, everyone, look it up. That's the proper use. (laughs) I never know how to use that word properly. I know what it means, but I never know whether it's a noun or a verb or just a phenomenon. I think you're thinking too hard about it. I think I am too. But basically, oil prices go super low because if you got it
1: and you have nowhere to store it, well, you might have to pay someone to take it. Absolutely. And that's what's going to start to happen. Um, You know, I think that's one of the big concerns right now with the oil industry in general the government's paying attention to it obviously we have the big stuff going on with Russia and OPEC that's happening so there's a lot of consideration um and i think uh i think we're going to see things happen that we've never really experienced and you know that's one of the cool things sitting down with tim today um he has some great insight in how he's approaching these markets just in general i know he is uh Focuses on the s and p five hundred but just the concepts that he is applying to those markets in the stocks as well um, kind of carries over and relates to a lot of a lot of what what's out there right now,
0: yeah, and I did not know about him that he's a competitive mountain bike rider, and that sort of ability to push through pain that athlete's mind is
1: hugely important to a trader, oh a thousand percent you know if you think about it, um, if you were to walk down on the floor twenty years ago. A lot of the guys, you know, ex-professional athletes, D1 athletes, um, you know, it was all a lot of athletes excelled in this industry because they had that power over their mind to fight through those pains.
0: Yeah. And uh, the practice element too. I know there was uh, one former Olympic gymnast. I won't name who it is. You could probably look it up. Who was at one of the Chicago prop shops uh, at least a decade ago. I, I don't know what he's doing now. But yeah, athletes oftentimes make some of the best traders.
1: Oh, absolutely. Actually, there's, uh, she's actually done some content with us. She may have even been on the podcast. I know I've had her on some video before, Ginny Cristerna. Um Look her up. She's uh, the psychologist to uh, the Olympic, um, I want to say, Taekwondo team um, or martial arts team. And um, she is also a trading psychologist. So she balances trading, trading and professional athletes and high-level high athletes. Um, and that's where her, her niche is. And it's amazing how much they relate. Right on. Well, we'll let that be our segue into today's interview with
0: E-Mini Minds, Tim Reset. We'll catch you after the break. Mm-hmm. Hey, everyone. We are joined today on the 26th of March. It's a Thursday. We're all in lockdown. I'm in Illinois. Dan's in Wisconsin. And we're joined by a new remote person, Tim Reset of eMiniMind, a trader at eMiniMind. Tim, how are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Of course. And you're in Arizona? That's right. Scottsdale, Arizona. Man, this technology is fantabulous. I just don't know what we would do without it. Probably not have a podcast right now. <laughs> so, uh, Tim, before we get started, obviously, we're going to talk some current events, and because uh, there's a lot happening today. Um, but first, could you tell us a little bit about uh, your experience trading and how you came to start eMiniMind? Yeah. So, I'm originally from the Chicagoland area and
2: uh, got involved uh, down on the Board of Trade uh, probably about... Um, my late high school years, uh, I guess, yeah, late high school transitioning into college just from a friend's dad who, uh, introduced us, brought us down the trading floor. And, and a lot of the guys down in the pits there were, um, kind of discouraging us from maybe making a career in the pits. And they kind of encouraged us to look at the, you know, computer and move more to the trading screen. And so I was pretty fortunate to be uh introduced to a couple of traders who'd been you know trading on the screen since the eighties really. Um and they kinda helped uh my friend and I uh kinda really coach us or, or almost apprenticeship, if you will, and guide us towards uh you know trading and uh gave us some really good foundational pieces that helped uh kind of bring us to a sustainable level
1: very cool. It's an interesting point you bring up there. I, I want to kind of ask a little bit more about it. So when you started, cause I, I kind of got the same thing when I was getting into this and you know, my, my old man always told me, he goes, you never want to be a floor trader. This is going away. This is going away. You got to figure out something else. What was that conversation like when uh, people were telling you focus on the screens, ignore the floor? I mean, the floor, the pits were
2: really emptying out and, and this was, you know, mid to mid two thousands. So a lot of the guys were using computer terminals and doing technical analysis or looking at charts and then just going into the pits to place their trades. And so with a thinning trading pit, um, and us being, you know, young, ambitious, naive guys, uh, the real opportunities uh, they saw and we could see were really in the in the computer screen Um, you know we weren't necessarily smart enough to be quants or um, mathematicians but that kind of direction in terms of uh, the power of the the computer and where things were going awesome
0: Yeah, so uh, Tim, you weren't a mathematician, but I did notice from reading through your uh, resume or biography, as it would be called, that uh, you had a pretty interesting educational background. Uh, I was very interested in your college major.
2: Yeah, so I actually got started in design uh, out here at, um, at Arizona State. And I started in the design field and then incorporated some I guess business general business classes, but um design was really great because it helped to kind of piece together or problem solve and uh work through almost creating a system in a roundabout way. And so there were a lot of good parallels that ended up relating to trading. And during this time, you know, I was going to school and I was uh trading and I could tell that you know, Trading was more exciting, I suppose, to me, not in a win and loss way, but just I was more driven towards trading than uh, becoming an architect at that point. Yeah. What did you start trading? I started in about 2006. Yeah, late 2005, 2006, I actually began with swing trading, and it was... I did that for a couple of years and then I started introducing uh day trading the E-minis in about late 2008. And I still swing trade uh, as well as as day trade, but um it was it wasn't the smoothest transition. You know, I had been mostly looking at daily charts for swing trading and then as I m- migrated over to um day trading, things were you know, intraday charts, and I really had to focus on kind of narrowing my time frame. Okay, I could, the markets are open essentially 24 hours a day, but what's a sustainable time period to trade where I can actually uh, be able to focus and not just twiddle my thumbs and sit in front of the screen for 16 hours a day.
0: Were you swing trading every product or still working on the equity indexes, indices? So primarily swing trading individual
2: stocks, options, and, and mostly the underlying, but some options for especially like the more expensive stocks.
1: When you got into day trading, um, did you instantly just jump into outrights or were you trading any sort of spreads or covered positions or were you strictly just trying to get a feel for the outright uh, marketplace?
2: Yeah. For day trading, I pretty much went straight to the e-mini S&P. And uh, I wouldn't really call it scalping, but, you know, looking for three or four point moves, five point moves in the in the E-mini S&P and trying to kind of identify the trend, jump into a trend and then, uh, you know, get out without being too greedy and letting it all come back on me.
1: Did you run into an issue? Because I, I know a lot of traders, when they go from that swing perspective, that swing mentality, because when you're in a swing position or swing trading, risk is a little bit a little bit looser. Um, when you transition to day trading, you've got to be strict with your risk. You got to just cut those losses as quick as possible. How is that transition for you? So
2: swing trading is nice in a lot of ways because if you're looking at daily charts, it slows things down and you kind of develop some good habits that you can transfer to other markets or other time frames. When I first started day trading, I was kind of practicing a little bit on the the SIM account and um, come to find out, you know, the market needs to trade through your order to get a fill. And so as soon as I went live, that was a really good uh, kind of lesson in, okay, scalping for the individual, especially at that time, you know, 2008-2009 when a lot of the computerized um uh, you know algos and things were starting to to pop up trying to find your advantage is uh has been a big part of my trading. You know, everyone's got some kind of unfair advantage is the the term is kind of coined and um you know scalping as an individual trader and going up against the high frequency firms, it's, it's kind of a losing proposition as an individual, so I figured out, okay, well, just like swing trading, I don't wanna necessarily swing for home runs, but I wanna execute consistently and be able to have some contracts on that I am trailing my stop on or giving a little bit of wiggle room, so if I do catch a good trade that starts to take off, I can capitalize on that and I'm not just taking you know, a point or two points
0: and I'm out and then uh, have to start all over again. It's interesting what you mentioned about the transition from SIM accounts to trading live capital. We've noticed that's something that sometimes our traders at top step struggle with because I've yet to see a trading simulator that gives you worse fills than you get in live markets. It always gives you as good or better so it doesn't give you a true idea of necessarily what you'll get in the markets
2: yeah and that's one of the things i really do enjoy about top step as well as uh, you know the parameters that are around uh, you know the trading combine and and those sorts of things are very much in line with how i trade and the risk parameters that i use and so i find that um it's a really good way to help build those good habits, uh, whether you continue with uh, Top Step or, or branch out uh, on your own. So what, what
0: year did you graduate? I saw that it was right around. I graduated in 2009 okay. from uh, ASU. Yep, I graduated in 2009 as well. So we've had the same sort of trading uh, timeline here uh, coming out of huge volatility towards the end of college that disappeared somewhat for a number of years, namely about 10 to 12 years. And as luck or bad luck would have it, we're kind of back to that point now. So once again, we're kind of going from day trading three or four points to, hey, you could day trade three or 400 points uh, moves if you wanted to. Uh, What's been going on with you lately? If we wanted to talk about the current stuff. So one thing that's
2: really, I really like about having the ability to swing trade and day trade is that when volatility is really low and the market's just kind of in a very tight range, like we were, you know, the end of last year, really all of a lot of last year, um, swing trade positions, you know, you're in your position and you can kind of manage it, trail your stop, and you don't have a lot of, whipsawing that's kicking you out in the overnight. And then when things get heated, volatility comes in, you get, you know, these kind of uh, situations that we're in right now. Uh, Maybe some of the individual stocks are not um, trending so long, but then all of a sudden day trading becomes very hot and uh, the ranges are so big that you can really do a lot of damage, so to speak. So having, you know, kind of a a couple of tools is really beneficial for, you know, when the markets change. I'd rather not change my strategy. I would rather just have um, a couple different things that I can look at or different strategies almost uh, or timeframes to use.
1: Absolutely. I got a question for you. So we mentioned when we kind of started here, it is uh, Thursday, March 26th. This morning we had jobless claims. Pretty interesting number to be looking at with the times that we're in right now. Obviously just a huge miss across the board. I think the number was 3.7 million. They were expecting, gosh, I don't remember, 2,200 in that range. They weren't expecting near the numbers that we saw today. Markets in history past, would probably say something along the lines of, well, if uh, jobless claims are a big miss, look to see markets sell off. Obviously, today, not the case. I think Dow's up 1,000 as we speak. Um, How do you approach that? What's your thought process around the reaction that this market had?
2: So when we get into these very emotion-driven markets like this, um, you have a lot of buy the rumor, sell the news. And so you've got things coming out of stimulus packages coming out of Washington, the Fed, um, you know, working to pump up the economy, you know, as far as unemployment, I would argue there's a lot more people unemployed at the moment than, you know, just uh, just 3 million. And um, so some of these numbers that come out over the next month or so, month or two, I feel like are going to be more benchmarks that then a couple months from now, we can see, okay, well, 3 million was the initial jobless claims. What does it look like in June? Are things improving or are things deteriorating? And so um, whether you feel like the market's overbought or oversold doesn't really matter, but you probably will see selling on news whether it's, you know, if they pass a stimulus package and and that sort of thing, um, whether it's positive or negative.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So what, what are the things that you're going to be looking at closely going forward as far as moves? So, for instance, are you still trading more of the indices or looking at the individual stocks? And what are you kind of looking for to buy or, you know, to see that there's a recovery or if the sell-off is going to continue?
2: So from a trading approach, I don't get too into the weeds with some of the, the fundamentals. And so from a swing trading approach, I'm essentially looking at you know strong stocks that have pulled back to buy and weak stocks, which there's a lot of right now that are bouncing to sell. And then from a day trading perspective and even now with the uh with the introduction of the micro e-minis i mean that gives you a great opportunity to be able to swing trade you know even if it's just holding for a couple of days uh and really limit your risk but still have a a decent amount of profit to be had um you know in the past i've used the spy or or maybe an option but um yeah so now with the micros from an intraday perspective i'm really just looking for to identify the trend watching for pullbacks and if we're not necessarily in a identifiable trend then looking to um you know fade at highs and uh and buy at lows and so from an intraday perspective the bigger picture doesn't necessarily come into play quite as much when i'm just making my uh basic entries and exits uh but from a swing trading perspective you know if we do get a bounce here um it it will likely be a pretty decent opportunity to uh put on a couple shorts uh either as a hedge or you
1: know just for a, another roll over lower absolutely so you know one thing that I've noticed for myself is a lot of these markets uh, you know i'm tr- I'm still trying to like you said maintain that same strategy, maintain the same ideology when I'm looking at these markets from an intraday perspective. Um, one thing I personally run into I trade bonds, I love the bonds, and that's the ranges in the you know in the past couple years have been maybe a full handle. That's a good day um, now we're seeing f- as uh, yesterday I think was a small day and we were in a three and a half handle range. Um, the other day I look for opportunity. One of my favorite things is I love settlement price. So everyone listening have seen me, I talk about settlement. It was the first thing ever taught to me. And, um, I always look for opportunity there, create some, you know, good trades for me. And what I have found is pretty much every trade that I'm taking, every entry that I'm looking at, my risk has increased. Have you, have you recognized that as well?
2: Yeah. So the one, probably the biggest adjustment I've made is essentially from a day trading perspective doubling my stop size because my gain size is you know you can catch a 10 point move in sometimes two minutes whereas a month ago it might have only been a three point move in two minutes so typically i'll use a point and a half on the es but now i've increased that to three points doubled my reward as well and so from a risk to reward perspective those things stay the same. And then when you cut your position size in half, you essentially keep your risk identical.
1: That was going to be my follow-up question. What's your position size changed? Yep. So yeah, cut the position
2: size in half and then uh, just give yourself a little more wiggle room and
1: um, you're essentially in the same boat. Yeah, that's great. Um, With these big percent moves, are you trying to limit times that you're trading? I found for me that overnight stuff, it's difficult to even be near anything. Have you cut that down for yourself? So I primarily
2: am most active in the first two hours of the day. So from the nice open till about 1130 Eastern. And that goes for if I'm putting on swing trades, uh, primarily all of my day trading is done in that time. And then uh, I may come back at the close just to manage a overnight position. But I've do very little trading outside of that window and I found that that really helps me be very focused and kind of come into each day better prepared. Uh, years ago I used to trade most of the day and I just found, I kind of went through and looked at, I broke my P and L up into 30 minute increments and found that, well, yeah, I've got some winning trades in the afternoon but they're kind of offset with boredom losing trades. So, I might as well not waste my time sitting here. And then I also used to wake up at the European Open and trade the euro, and I did that for a couple of years and um it's it's fairly unsustainable to be, I mean, you have to be on such a rigid schedule and it's it gets a little bit old. So, yeah. trying to integrate <laughs> You know, trading into your lifestyle so that you can do it for the long term has always been my approach uh, rather than just trying to, you know, run up, make a quick buck and then be out.
1: Yeah. You said something that I want to make sure everyone out there hears. Make trading work with your lifestyle. Don't create a lifestyle around your trading. I, I, that's something I have seen with so many of our traders and traders that I talk to and um, they want to be at the computer 23 hours a day. They they want to be active for every single move. And I can't stress it enough. What you just said is so important. Work it around you. Make your trading work for you. Find what works best for you. And don't do it the other way around. Otherwise, it's, we're humans. We're, we're designed and bred and we, we know ourselves. We Changing is really difficult. But adjusting and adapting to um, – make it work for yourself is so important
0: yeah for the first year and a half that i was working at a prop firm we were there overnight we were night guys providing night coverage mostly for positions that were already on but we would add or take off positions if we could but the truth is if we didn't have that available there's not the slightest reason in the world that i would wake up or stay up all night during that time to be there it would uh Drive me insane. And I think it'd drive a lot of people insane. What's funny is a lot of people
2: seem to turn or be drawn to trading because they want this lifestyle of you know sitting on the beach and doing nothing, but then you know they're they're tied to their computer for sixteen hours a day, it's kind of the opposite of what uh, what their goals are. And so if you can kinda of be okay not catching every single trade and be okay knowing that there's no crystal ball or no one that can predict the market with certainty uh, and knowing that, okay, I don't have to take a trade today if nothing presents itself, then it kind of adds a lot of or reduces a lot of stress and pressure
1: Absolutely, on trading does
2: trading itself.
1: Something I always tell people is just because the market move doesn't mean it's a trade. Um, th- like yeah, you were talking good. earlier, HFTs, algos, they're moving these markets and they're going to send out false signals. People are going to see it you know, move a point through a level and go, okay, here comes a break. Well, that's not technically what's going to happen. Um, that was, for me, one of my biggest ex- lessons that I learned when I transitioned from screen or from pit to screen – in the pit, you don't really pay attention to the market moving. You're just waiting to watch order flow come into the pit. So you're watching order flow. You know, you can look over. You can see Merrill Lynch is signaling to the broker in the corner, okay, here's going to come some opportunity. Where's our market at understanding my positioning? Okay, now there's going to be a trade. When you get away from that, you start to see, oh, wow, market's moving all over the place. There must be trade. There must be trade. And that's not technically the case. That's one thing I always try and tell people, watch that order flow, try and understand when the trade is actually coming versus just this market's going to move because HFTs and algos are just going to be triggering all day long. They're going to be scalping these one point up, one point down, one point up, one point down. And that's that's not where us as a day trader that we need to be involved. That's one of the biggest advantage we have as being a human and understanding and being able to make our own decision making.
0: Yeah. Order flow on the screens, too. I think that's where a lot of practice comes in. Is It's almost talking about athletes who are in the zone or how can Steph Curry hit that shot or things like that. The people who are really good at reading order flow, in my experience, it's hard to even describe how they're doing it. It's just they've seen things so many times, and they can read it, and they're getting a feel, and they can – Link the numbers on the screen to the psychology and the emotion of other parties and what people are feeling it's really
1: something to see It's funny. people ask me all the time, how do you know that that's a, you know a ghost order or how do you know that that's actually going to get traded and it's just kind of one of those things. You have to sit and be in front of that screen to understand and recognize how that market's moving
2: yeah that's so you guys said a, a couple things that uh sparked some thoughts and uh one of them is you know if you stretch yourself too thin you really can't pinpoint what's working and what's not so a good exercise at the end of every week or even every day is just to kind of ask yourself okay what worked and what didn't work and let me kind of head towards the direction of what's working and sometimes that'll change is you know the seasons change but um if you can really focus in on you know one market one time frame at first, then you can expand from there I and mean, just like a you know a professional athlete would just focus on executing the free throw and the mechanics that go into it and do it thousands and thousands of times to where it becomes subconscious you know if you can acknowledge or be aware of a bad trade or a mistake that you made and write it down or just make sure that you don't make that same mistake again, then you can really progress very quickly at the the beginning. We were talking about kind of that unfair advantage. Um, and I think that one, so I, in addition to, to trading, I'm also, um, uh, I race mountain bikes at a really high level. And so two from a elite athlete perspective from everything from training the physical to the mental there's a lot of parallels and things that you can draw on from developing your body and your mental capacity and awareness that are very applicable to trading um you know folks if you like to read reading autobiographies or things that are completely unrelated you would think to trading can really be a helpful way to gain some clarity uh and the reason big reason I you know called my blog e Mind is because I think that it's the mindset that's what really makes you successful, and then you can take that mindset and you know you can trade with it, you can invest with it, you can um you know seek out opportunities to sit on boards or work with startups or be an advisor to companies and so thinking in the way of managing risk and looking at the reward outcome is really a
0: lifelong endeavor. So would you say that's sort of the distilled philosophy of emini mind? It's about the psychology more uh, side of trading more than anything else.
2: Yeah. I mean, I spend probably, you know, the the mindset is what allows me to trade successfully, I feel like. I spend probably the most time when I'm actually trading, looking, like identifying the areas that I want to be trading, whether it's the time of the day or a specific support or resistance level, the actual, you know, getting in the trade in a lot of senses, that's the easy part, but identifying okay, I want to stay out of this market right now or I want to wait till we get to a prior high or a prior low. And then I, that's where I want to be placing trades to give me a better opportunity.
1: You say something um, just about understanding yourself and the processes behind it. I I have something I that was taught to me um, in the Marine Corps. I served in the Marine Corps for five years. Um, and there's a leadership trait called know yourself and seek self-improvement. And what you're talking about there, going through and understanding yourself, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? How do I grow from that? That to me is one of the, it's the number one leadership trait in the Marine Corps. And it's also, I think, one of the most applicable things when it comes to trading. Understanding, you know, we have to understand ourselves. Like you said, picking that market, what market's working for you. If you're a fast-paced, emotional, strong person, trading something like the treasuries is going to be really difficult. It's slow and steady. You got to be looking at something like the NASDAQ. You have to understand yourself to then translate that over to your trading.
2: Yeah. And looking for ways to, you know, just improve 1% or become a half a percent better today. You do that day after day after day, and all of a sudden you see big improvements. And so a really great CEO or leader I feel like isn't necessarily making a few huge decisions making those right decisions um only a couple big right decisions they make a lot of good small decisions constantly day after day oh this didn't work okay we're going to we're going to you know cut that off and move our uh energy over to this over here We're going to try something else and just constantly iterating. Like
0: athletes, yeah, they make it about the process. And in honor of Jack Welch, who just passed away, almost forgot about that, given everything that's been going on, um, he used to write, I believe, 10 thank you notes every day of his career at GE to random employees there who'd done a good job. And you talk about those small improvements, that doesn't seem like a lot. But over the course of a year, that's thirty six hundred letters that you've written, and over te- a decade, that's thirty six thousand. And after twenty years, you've really communicated with most of the rank and file people at this giant company, and that means a lot to them.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you can, you know, instead of saying, "Ah, oh, today was a bad day. Tomorrow, okay, I'm not going to make any mistakes, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna have two really perfect trades." You know that puts a lot of pressure on yourself. If you can come into the day and say, you know, okay, today I'm I'm really going to focus on the exit of my trade. I'm just I'm not going to micromanage it. I'm just going to sit on my hands. If I don't get the perfect entry, whatever. But I'm just going to really make a focus on. Okay, this is where I set my target, or this is how I'm going to trail my stop. I'm long. I'm just going to trail swing lows as as it goes in my favor and that's it and i'm not going to micromanage it and you know that can be a big win or a little win that ends up compounding you know back to the the mountain biking um example like every day you might not hit every workout but if you can find if you can like go to sleep and before you go to bed find one good thing that you did that day um to improve then you build up that mental bank of positive thoughts. And then when you get, when you're, you know, 30 miles into a race, it's raining, it's muddy, it's cold, it's miserable, and you're fighting, your brain doesn't go to negative thoughts. It can pull out all of those positive things that you did good for the last year in training. And so trading can be a lot of the same way. Oh, last week, um, maybe it was a, a down week, L wise, but if you can find five things that you did, one good thing you did good each day, you can pull that for the next week and say, yeah, I didn't have the greatest week um, monetary wise, but here are the things that I improved and you can build on that the next week. And if you just constantly focus on the positive and sort of shun away the negative, like it's good to reflect on it, but just don't dwell on it and hang on to it and... You know, like a like a failed relationship. You don't want to just kind of dwell and dwell and dwell and misery and mope and that kind of thing. You want to learn from it and then move on. I
0: keep thinking about pain tolerance. Uh, when you were talking about mountain biking, I am not an elite athlete in any way, shape, or form. But there is that parallel of trading with to get better you have to consciously push through that pain, and by that, I don't mean riding a position until you're bankrupt. It's kind of that thing of taking everything as a learning experience that makes you better. And when things hurt, pushing through it in some way and knowing that you'll grow from the experience.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. And you you can have you know emotional pain, like oh, I'm in this trade, I'm up a point and a half. But I'm scared and I want to just get out to lock in the gain. Like you can acknowledge that thought, but just maybe don't act on it right away and say, okay, I set out with a specific profit target or I set out where I'm going to trail my stop in this way. And oh, I'm kind of nervous and I really want to get out and just reap that one point reward. But in the long run, then that just creates a bad habit. So yeah, pain is good on being, being, if you're not on, if, let's see, if you're not uncomfortable, then you're probably not growing. You know, you don't need to be uncomfortable all the time, but if you can find ways to be uncomfortable or if something makes you a little bit uneasy, kind of figure out why.
1: So Tim, I got a question for you. I, I talk with a lot of our traders here and one of the biggest things that, they ask me about, and they're always kind of looking for some sort of tip, because that's a common situation with a lot of our traders. Is they'll get into this trade, and then they're happy with their entry point, um, and they have a stop set, but they or they they know where their profit target's going to be, and then all of a sudden they get that point or two in profits, and they want to instantly shut off. What do you What do you have to say to that person as some sort of advice to fight those natural urges to get out?
2: So I'm, I'm a big numbers guy. And that gives me a lot of confidence when I can look at, you know, 30 or 40 trades and see a pattern. And so I know that if I have a three point stop and I'm taking only a three point gain, it's going to be very difficult to be successful in the long run. I mean, even if you've got a 70% win rate, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. So knowing that, you know, my approach is more okay how can I get the most out of this trade I've already put on the trade I've accepted the risk and I'm in the trade so let me try to get the most out of it as opposed to getting in getting out getting in getting out and just constantly over and over again so um, I'll do things like have a smaller first target on the trade and that might be at you know one and a half uh, to one t- like one and a half times my risk so if I use a, a point and a half stop I'll typically have a two point first target just to kind of um help reduce the risk on the trade you know not really if I if you're trading ten contracts you don't want to take nine contracts off for a point and then feel like oh this is great I've reduced my risk but let's say you have three contracts you know taking one off for a small gain as sort of validation that the trade is starting to go your way um, can be a helpful way to reduce some of the emotional stress and then be able to manage the trade better. So if you can think clearer in the trade because you kind of took a little bit of the position off, like a third of the position, then you can trail your stop on the remainder and uh, at least be able to see you know, bigger overall reward to risk. Sure, that one contract is gonna be smaller reward to risk, but if it allows you to hang on for that second and third contract and get, you know, closer to three to one or maybe even catch a uh, a really big winner and you catch a four or five to one reward to risk on, even if it's one or two contracts, that's the kind of stuff that really adds up um, and really helps your P&L.
1: Awesome. Thanks. You, you, you said in the very beginning, once you've put that trade on, you've accepted the risk. And that's what I think people have to understand is the risk has been accepted. At this point, you have accepted that you're going to lose money. You're willing to lose a certain amount of money. At what point is it worth it to take that risk? And that's something I have to, th- you know, I try and tell people all the time, let's think about how much you have to make. If I'm going to risk $200. I gotta make a heck of a lot more than that, otherwise it just doesn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I have to, like you, put those, put it into perspective in a different way. Even, even just, just
2: visualizing before you put the trade on, like picture you hear the ding, you're in the trade, and then three seconds later, ding, it just ran through, stopped you out, and you're, and you're, you're out. Like mm-hmm. if you can just kind of visualize that full stop out, even that can help calm some nerves as well. And you know if you're if you're afraid about the market long term it's like if you're have a retirement account and you picture it cut in half and if that makes you scared then maybe you shouldn't be you know investing if you if you're thinking about buying a house and you you know picture the home value cut in half you know maybe real estate investing isn't for you like you have to be able to accept the risks and then when you know Things are going great and home prices are going through the roof for, you know, last 10 years. You know, market was pretty much on a tear. I mean, you have to be able to acknowledge that. Okay. Yeah. I took some risk and that's why I'm reaping this reward. There's still risk. The market's going up. That's great. You know, be responsible, save some money, don't spend it all. But, um, you can kind of do the same thing with your, with your trading and accepting the risk. Okay. If I, if I put on this trade with, $300 Three hundred dollar risk, you know, is it worth it to me to try and make three fifty or in, to make fifty bucks on the trade? Probably not. But if I have the potential to make seven hundred or um, you know three or four times, now it's mathematically becomes more sustainable.
0: Tim, I'm gonna go all James Lipton for a second. <laughs> as long as we're you know on the uh, team of people who have recently passed away, unfortunately. And say uh, what do you love the most about trading? What makes you trade? Why? Um
2: I think the it, it might sound weird but the control aspect to be able to kind of manage my finances the way I'm comfortable with. I mean that that was a lot of how it started. I was always very entrepreneurial as a kid and had you know, little businesses and lawn mowing gigs and all kinds of, you know, stuff that I was doing as a middle schooler. And so to be able to be in charge of assessing the risk and making the decision that, yes, I want to take this risk and I see the potential reward,
0: um, that's really gratifying. That's awesome. So on that note... Uh, where can people find more about you? Just at eminimind.com? Yeah, that's a great place to go. Um,
2: I've got lots of videos on YouTube and um, I'm
0: once in a while on uh, on Facebook and Twitter as well. All right. Awesome. Well, Tim, thanks so much for uh, stopping by today for a little conversation. Um, I know it's a volatile market, so I hope we didn't take you away from the screens for too long. No, this was great. Thanks, guys. Yeah, well, you're welcome back sometime in the future. Uh, thanks so much. And everyone out there, I hope you uh, give a look at to uh, eMiniMind. And in the meantime, stay safe out there, everyone. And uh, thanks again, Tim. Yeah, thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All right, we'll be back after the bloop, bloop sound. All right, everybody. Thank you for making it to the end of the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. Ooh, what was that, Dan? Uh, Sarge just knocked over uh, a bunch of magazines. Yeah, my dog was starting. My dog, Rodney, was starting to yodel a little bit in the background. He's looking out the window now, and I'm afraid he might start. So I'll shove in these uh, quick promos really (laughs) quick. Check us out on YouTube at the Top Step Trader YouTube page. Uh, Check out the blog. We're trying to put out something every day because these markets are constantly shifting and changing coach's playbook we're doing once a week on Wednesdays, hopefully. We have to record it now so we can't take your questions, uh, but we will take them the next week. And lastly, Dan, we're doing the uh,
1: quarantine diaries, if you want to quickly go over that. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, every day at 1130, one of us is going to hop on live. We're just going to be talking about you know what's going on with everything in our lives um, related to the markets as well. Yesterday, um, Tuesday. Uh, the last day of March, March 31st, I hopped on, I sat on my front porch and kind of discussed how I'm balancing um, you know this work from home, working and trading, whole combination um, because I think like everyone else out there, the more time you have, the more availability you have to trade. Um, the harder it is to make you know smart decisions. and so you know that was what I talked about yesterday about me just getting out, setting orders and walking away from my charts um, and letting those orders get filled. Um, and then, you know, just having the brackets fill in or the uh, the auto OCO stuff, um, letting that stuff go and uh, just letting my strategy play out, planning it in advance, um, and then kind of looking away from the computers. Well, that's very cool. I'm actually
0: going to try and do, uh, I'm going on live in about 20 minutes. I'm going to try and do it on my own back porch because with uh, two people and a dog
1: living in this uh, condo, it's a mess right now. <laughs> I've got a five-bedroom house. My brother's staying here with one dog, and it's a mess here. Yeah, I
0: got to look into some more space at some point. Wasn't a problem until recently. So anyway, we'll be probably recording from our respective places for the foreseeable future. Everybody out there, I hope you're staying healthy, staying safe. Trade well. It's the weekend. Try and enjoy it as much as you can. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Dan, thanks. Thank you. All right, we'll see y'all next week. Namaste and trade well. The Limit Up Podcast is produced by Dante 32.